I've heard it said that I may have an overactive imagination. But of course, if you ask me if I think I have an overactive imagination, my response would be that I have a healthy imagination that's unrestrained. And I would also say that I recommend other people subsequently indulge within reason their imagination as well, their sense of imagination as well. But that's besides the point. As a child, I have spent from childhood, I should say, I've spent most of my life wondering about the nature of this reality. Um, I have played with the idea of whether this place is a sort of school or a prison or both. And I've also played with the idea of this place being sort of a heaven or hell or both. And as I have gotten older, or I should say as I have lived spent more time within this world, I am starting to come to the conclusion that prison, school, heaven, hell, this place is all of that. It all depends on the mind of the individual that is experiencing the program. Today I had a conversation, I was in a group chat with a couple of my friends, um, one of which had cut her hair. She cut her hair and she posted a video of her new haircut on Instagram Live, which she then took a screenshot of and posted into the group chat because clearly I don't use Instagram. But right underneath, after she sent the picture, she sent a, uh, a screenshot of a... A message that she'd gotten from somebody she'd gotten to high school with and the message said something to the effect of um, your hair looks great I like it on you or something like that and she commented in the group chat hey I got this message from this girl I haven't talked to since high school is this a weird message and her boyfriend, who was also in the group chat, said something to the effect like, yeah, that's weird. Like, how is that any of her business? Um, now, as you guys know, as regular listeners probably aware of, I've been working on just exercising free will and living mindfully. And so part of that exercise is being making myself super aware of my reactions and why I'm doing things or what I'm doing at the time and how things make me feel um, because it's all in an effort to gain greater control over my 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 psyche myself my persona my mind whatever you want to call it um, and so what I said back was um, I, I'm not trying to you know say that I'm better than you hear or not. I'm just kind of calling this to your attention. However, why are you assuming that this message that this woman, this girl sent you was coming from a negative space? I think contained within it somewhere was a compliment. And if your mind has the ability to look for something wrong with the message being sent to you, your mind also contains that same ability to look at that message and find something good, find the good in it, and then speak to that. And when I said that, it clicked on me. Like, And I've been kind of playing with this idea anyway, but it kind of pulled it all together. And the idea is that when 
first, well, first, the first thing is this is a habit that we're all kind of guilty of doing, which is constantly judging each other, constantly judging each other. If you sit and you listen to a conversation between people mindfully, if if it's between people talking to you, you talking to people, or even conversations you see on like television or in a movie or whatever, it is a constant and incessant state of judgment that we are all actively engaged in. Case in point, to use the Instagram live uh, scenario, she takes a picture, somebody sends her a message. For better or worse, even cont- even though contained within that message was a compliment that compliment was still a proclamation of you've done this thing and i procure it procure i pronounce it rather i pronounce it as good that is a judgment and then she then took that message sent it to us for us to further to then judge that person's response to you know her video and then my cousin you know made the comment or her boyfriend who's also my cousin made the comment on one end pronouncing that person's comment as bad and then I guess it was left for me to also make a judgment and I chose to not make a judgment but that's only because I was being hyper aware um and I chose instead to tell her, listen, if you can look to see something wrong in what was being said, your mind also possesses the ability to look and find the good in what was being said as well. And then I thought, why are we so fucking judgmental? We are a human race, and I understand that, like, ironically, this is about to be a very judgmental statement, but it's also a matter of fact, the statement of fact. We are constantly judging constantly judging this is good this is bad this is not good this is not bad and we're the kind of people we're not even good judges um we are unfair judges because at least a fair judge waits to get enough evidence before making pronouncements of whether something is good or bad you know what i mean so we will judge something good without really judge something as good without waiting to get enough information to support whether or not what we think is good is actually good and vice versa case in point the shutdown no matter who you talk to different people have different opinions of what whether or not this is a good thing or not as in the international station nationwide uh shutdown everybody has their opinion um and then they pronounce judgment on who, like, you know, what the governor is doing right in, in whichever state they happen to be in, or if the judgment, if the governor is failing or whatever. And so it's just this constant state of judgment. If you literally sit and make yourself aware, I'm not saying change the behavior. You can't change the behavior until you make yourself first very aware of what you're doing. But the next time you open your mouth to speak, be particularly mindful of what you're about to say because nine times out of ten, it's going to be a statement of judgment, for better or worse. But for the most part, most of the things that we do say are largely critical, which is a judgment statement, but it's just a negative judgment statement, which is what criticism is. Um And I'm left with the thought every time I catch myself judging another person, I'm now 
teaching myself to pull back and ask myself, who the fuck do you think you are? And when I watch people, this is an exercise, when I watch people judging other people, whether it's Christians, politicians, movie stars, or average people, right? If you go on you go on social media and you read the comments, no, Twitter. Twitter's great because you can see what these people are thinking as they type it out. It's not like Instagram where you just post pictures, um, but they type out exactly what they're thinking. And a lot of these celebrities, particularly when it comes to politics, it's very grandiose. It's very, I am this person with, you know, I am very important. I am very famous. Listen to what I say. Um, I am great. And then you go into the comments and then people are either saying, yes, you are great, which is a positive judgment, right? Or who the fuck do you think you are, which is a negative judgment. But it's just a bunch of people trying to fucking outjudge the other person. And that led me to the thought that, wait, how do you define hell? Right? What is hell? Well, hell is a place of condemnation and judgment, right? And that's more or less what this world is. It's just, it's, it's not just, hell is not just defined as a place of condemnation and judgment, but it's also defined as a place of suffering. And so a lot of the time when you engage in condemnation and, and judgment, whether of other people, um, or of circumstances, you also cause suffering to other people and subsequently to yourself, right? So I am a big fan of, I really love taking kind of concepts that are hard for me to grasp or for people in general to grasp and trying to funnel them and filter them down to like a simple, nice, compatible, bite-sized nugget of wisdom, and so that's what I'm going to attempt to do now with this episode. Um, and I hope by the end of the episode, you start to kind of look things, become kind of more aware of what you're saying and what's being said to you. And then this will inspire you to pause. And if it doesn't, listen to the episode three, four times until it sinks in. Um, I've said this in previous episodes before. I repeat myself a lot. But I believe that you can't learn something by being exposed to it just the one time. Everything great that you've learned to do and everything negative that you've learned to do, you've done from repetition. So there's nothing wrong with the person repeating something, especially if it's something that you do need to learn. And so I'm going to repeat myself. So let's loop back. Um, judgment. Here's the thing. When you judge other people, if you turn on the TV and you're just randomly just spewing like verbal diarrhea on like whoever is on the screen, which is like, oh my God, her hair is this. Oh my God, her nails are that. Oh my God, this person's outfit is crazy. This person is incompetent. When you start proclaiming yourself as king of everything, queen of everything, what you're doing is one, you're creating negative energy for yourself. Nobody can condemn a person and feel good. Not for long, right? So I'll give you an example. Have you ever had a conversation with a person where you would consider an energy vampire? Energy vampires are the people like, after you get off the phone with them, you just feel fucking drained and you don't know why. Like you don't know what happened to who to like you you started the conversation feeling like energetic and live and then by the time you get off the phone even if you laughed with a person even if you felt great you just feel depleted well 
that's because you have while you're interacting with this person you're engaging with a person who more often than not is probably a highly critical individual and what you've done is you locked on to this individual and they've locked on to you and you've created like this kind of temporary psychic bond and what you're what you do in those situations is you start trading negativity right you start back and forth bouncing negative energy from one person to another. So this person criticizes the person, then you take what they say, you flip it back, and then you criticize them. And every time you engage in that negativity, you deplete your levels, right? Because to to be a negative means to negate. mean And to negate means to deplete, to remove from. That is negative. That's negativity. Negate. Remove, right? Um... So every time you interact with a person and they are being negative, your actions, your behavior, you're participating in an energy negating uh, practice, okay? Um, Right, so you do that enough times and by the end of the conversation, when you get off the phone, you find yourself feeling like literally empty. And so you have to go and recharge and you recharge in different ways, whether it's you know, going and grabbing a bite to eat or watching something funny. You just unconsciously know that you feel drained and you might even vocalize, man, I feel drained after every time I talk to that person, I just feel always empty afterwards. It's not the person that is draining you, so to speak. We just equate that to that person. It's the manner in which the person engages life which tends to be largely critical and largely judgmental. Well, these are all negative thought patterns and negative speech patterns that tend to, as it's in their name, to deplete energy. And so your unconscious sort of push to re- replenish the depleted energy by going and watching something funny or, you know, however you self-generate your positive energy, you know, eating your favorite food or whatever, that's you not even understanding that, okay, like at least not on a conscious level that you, you're you trying to refill that positive energy that has just been negated by a negative conversation. Here's the other thing too. You cannot judge other people without subsequently strengthening the the voice in your head, an aspect of your brain that judges, period. And so what happens is you spend, every time you indulge in the judgment of other people and the criticism of other people, you strengthen that part of your brain that just judges in general. It's a very negative part of your brain. It's a a very negative, uh, its function is primarily to negate and you're giving it your energy, you're feeding that part of your brain with all your energy and you're feeding it and you're strengthening it. And so what it does is when it runs out of external people to criticize and to judge, it's going to turn that shit on you, right? So every time you criticize somebody, that's karma. You're generating karma because one, the very act of criticism lowers your vibration. It negates your energy. You cannot criticize other people, not for very long anyway, and stay in a good mood. So either you're going to criticize them and you're going to be angry, or you criticize them and you start feeling petty. You've criticized them and you start feeling annoyed and all these other things. Nobody 
is a happy person. You can't happily criticize somebody. If you watch a lot of videos, for example, just slightly touch on politics of people who are criticizing politicians just in general, um, they sound unhappy. They sound angry. They sound frustrated. They, you, nobody is like, ha ha ha, fuck Donald Trump, right? Like, there's, there, that's not how that works, right? So, it you cannot separate the two. You cannot separate unhappiness and criticism. They go hand in hand. And so, every time you choose, and I put choose in quotes, but every time you choose to indulge that negative habit of criticizing other people you place yourself in a negative mental state i'll say that again every time you choose to indulge in a negative behavior like criticism condemnation you place yourself in a negative mental state so the next time you open your mouth to point the finger at somebody understand that right as you're about to say that you're also choosing to put yourself in a bad mood And you are also choosing, and I'm using the word choosing loosely because clearly we're not conscious of what we're doing. And a lot of the times these sort of behaviors are pre-programmed and it's like an autopilot reaction. We've been programmed to be excessively critical. Um, But my my, my intent is to bring it to your awareness so that the next time you are indulging in critical thought patterns and speaking patterns you you catch yourself doing it and then literally stop it um so every time you get ready to speak and if it's got to be something critical bring it to your awareness that if i criticize this person one i'm going to put myself in a in a negative energy negating mental state two i'm strengthening a part of my brain that is a negative part that is draining and that thing that part of my brain that gets energized when I point the finger at other people isn't going to stop at just other people it's going to then turn around and I'm going to and it's going to basically attack myself right so you call that person fat you call that person an idiot you call that person an asshole right you are training your brain to find the negative in people and guess what you're people so one one day when you're feeling down when you're feeling depleted when you're feeling negated that speech pattern that you that ne- negative speech pattern that you've developed over time and practice on other people is and strengthened on other people is then going to turn around and attack you and that's when you have people who end up becoming depressed, who end up becoming bipolar, who end up becoming, um, you know, I don't know what other sort of, you know, unhappy, miserable, all of that, that stems from that action. It stems from that behavior. So I'm trying to pull it out to your attention. So there's that. Um, just don't indulge criticism just don't indulge negative behavior if you can and if you do if you are able to catch yourself in it stop in the middle of it and switch it right because what you want to do is you want to be able to as you catch yourself pulling in one direction which is a negative direction the way the best way to neutralize the negativity is the polar opposite and what's the polar opposite of negativity well that's positivity so you want to inject 
positivity to balance it all out. So even if you're in the midst of finding something negative about a situation, if you can make yourself aware of it in the midst of it, you can either just stop talking, which should stop the depletion of your energy, the negation of your positive energy, it doesn't refill it, but it does stop the it does stop the depletion right in the tracks. Or you can refill it by flipping around and saying something positive instead to kind of balance it out. It's all about energy here. It's all about polarization in this reality in this in this simulation. So once you start to understand that everything is polarization, everything is polarized, you start to really understand the true nature of this reality. So as I said in the beginning of the podcast, I've always I've always wondered if this was heaven or hell. And I'm coming to the conclusion that this is both. Right. Another one of my friends was telling me about how just from listening to the podcast and from our chat, she's become more mindful of the things that she said and she says rather, and rather than allowing herself to get angry, she looks at every interaction with other people as a test. So I'll say that again. She looks as she looks at every interaction with other people as a test, as an opportunity to practice consciousness. If you start looking at other people not as an annoyance, not as somebody who you dislike, but as an opportunity, it starts to change the way you engage with people and it starts to change your life experience. And that, I think, is the key here. First and foremost, I've quoted from the Kabbalion before the quote, all is mind. But I also did some light reading on Schopenhauer today um, and his idea um, behind about the nature of reality. And in his book, he discusses it. Um, he discusses reality and the book is called uh, The World is Will and Idea. So in it, I, I should say that Schopenhauer, and some people have said that he was influenced by Buddhism and other people have said that he came to a lot of his um, understanding of the of reality and life and his philosophy um, before he discovered the tenets of Buddhism. Like he came to the understanding independently of Buddhism. I don't think it really matters. Um, honestly, I think the future influences the past and the present more so than we might actually be mindful of. It's all connected. Like I've used the cat analogy. You don't look at a cat's tail and the cat's head and think that the two are separate. That They're all part of the cat. Um, so I'll say that again. The future affects your past and your present. Your life is all one thing. Just because you are looking at like the, the middle section of your life right now doesn't mean that you know, it's separate from what happened in your past and what's going to happen in your future. A lot of the times by your behavior right now, you can pretty much predict what kind of future you're going to have. And what I mean by that is this, if you are 30 years old and you're living a largely sedentary life and you're eating lots of fast food and you're not exercising and you are extremely critical and you're extremely negative and all you do is watch TV and you don't create anything, you can tell what what you're basically what sort of future you're basically creating for yourself and if you carry down that path you're basically manifesting a future that already exists right but if you took your life and you flipped it and you looked at the end of your life then the end of your life starts sort of 
explaining what your life is right now. Well, if you, and I'm not talking about you specifically, but let's just say in a general sense, if you end up dying from diabetes in the future, right? It's because of the way, it's because of what you're doing in the present. Now, they're all, it's all the same animal. It's all the same thing. That's not saying that you can't change that, right? You can change that future by what you do now, right? You can all, but it would be more or less a matter of transference of your consciousness into a parallel multiverse and a simulation where the future is different. So the storyline is the same. And I know at this point I'm starting to lose a few people, but just stay with me. I, I do try to simplify things and it is a simple concept. Just don't close your mind the moment you hear things like parallel universes because um, nothing in this world is difficult. We just tell ourselves it is. Um, and we're just told that certain things are difficult. And so once you think something is difficult, you don't even try it. And then you make it difficult. You don't try to understand it. So you make it difficult. Um, but you're, if you look at your life, not from, from left to right, from beginning to end, like we've been taught, but look at the middle, right? Which is where you are now. And you can pretty much explain your past and your future it's all one thing and if you want to change the future then you start altering what you're doing now because it's all connected it's all connected it's all connected okay so back to schopenhauer he said in uh the world as well as an idea is that we all have this underlining thing called will and it's our desire that keeps us suffering and and what we think of as pleasure isn't really pleasure it's just a temporary abnegation of a desire and so when you that desire is a type of pain and when you meet that desire that desire what we call that desire being met um we call pleasure but it's not necessarily really pleasure it's just the temporary cessation of that pain but then it doesn't last because then your 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 will just drives you to to crave something else and another thing else and another thing else and that's what he determined is the reason why we suffer um and if you hear that you think okay that's basically buddhism right um just with extra steps right um cuz what the buddha said is that yeah, actually Hindus even they, they call that what he described as will they call that sanskara it's just like endless drive and desire for for things for something and then what the Buddha said is your attachment right your desire for something is what causes you to suffer and all three of them Buddhists Hindus Schopenhauer they all kind of more or less came to the same conclusion which is if you remove will right if you remove desire right if you remove attachment then cessation of uh, suffering occurs, right? Stoics say the same thing, right? Um, but I want to take those concepts and super simplify it, um, if I can. And I and I don't know if I'll be able to do it in this episode, but I can at least start taking steps uh, towards that. Um, but whatever I just said, I know somebody got got something very uh, paradigm shifting from what was just said. So take that and um, run with it. Um, so 
Schopenhauer believed that this was a type of hell. And he said that this world was created by some sort of demon, not a god. And the de- the demon, the desire of the demon was to have us suffer. So he was what you would call a pessimist, right? And so in his mind, um, the way you stop suffering is you stop wanting things, stop desiring things. If you stop desiring things, then... Um, then the suffering goes away, right? That's alchemy. Um, and it's simple. If, you're, if your desire for things is what's causing you to suffer, if you remove that thing, then you control the, the suffering. You make the suffering stop. Um, I thought that that was fascinating um, because it, to just say, you know what, I'm not going to hope for happiness. I'm not going to hope for anything, right? Um, I'm going to take a step back, put my hands up, and just kind of say it's, it's all right you can actually get peace from that in the midst of what a person like that who perceived this world as hell, right? You can get peace in the midst of hell, according to Schopenhauer. And I'm not saying I believe that this is hell, right? But I'm not saying that I believe that this isn't hell either. Because if you look up, you do look and see people creating hell for themselves, whether it is on... I've gotten into this uh, habit of um, just from the lockdown of watching more TV than I normally do. But what I do is instead of watching it and turning my brain off, I watch human beings and I consciously watch how these characters on movies and TV shows create suffering for themselves by attachment. And then I try to focus on that and sort of say, okay, well, if they would have let go of this you know, at this point, then they wouldn't be suffering. And of course, there wouldn't also be a storyline. But that's how you watch TV mindfully, okay? So you're asking, what does all of this have to do with life and with life being hell? Well, the quote, hell is other people by Jean-Paul Sartre popped into my mind today as well. It was actually what inspired this podcast um because if you think about it when you sit outside and you can do that right now you can go and sit outside in the middle of the day the sun's out it's spring the birds are singing and for the most part while you are contained in the present moment you are at peace right if you can sit on your own you're at peace right until you have to start interacting with other fucking people and that's when you begin to suffer what is that what do i mean by that i mean i'm sure you get it right so this person comes in with their desire mom i want you to do this for me mom can i have that and you're like i just want to sit in peace right i just want want being the desire i just will if you want to use schopenhauer's word i just will to sit in peace and here you come with your want right and then there is a conflict of wants and then there is a fear that comes up because then you start thinking of judgment if i don't do this then i might be judged by whomever you are afraid of being of, of being a judge over you right another person saying you didn't do this for your kid therefore you are a quote bad mother bad father 
bad husband, bad spouse, or to flip it on the opposite end, because everything is dual. If I do this, then this would make me a good mother or a good father or, or a good daughter or a good son. And so that's how you begin to suffer. It's not just wanting things, you know, oh, I want a nice car or I want a nice house, right? But even things have the, the element of suffering built into them having to do with other people, right? A lot of the times, and this is like, these are facts, these are psychological facts. They say that when people buy homes, right, more home than they can afford, suffering, um, or they buy a car, it's more car than they can afford, um, or they buy $3,000 bags or name brand X or whatever, more than they can afford, or even if they could afford it, it's not really a necessity. 10 times out of 10, they are doing it because of other people, whether there is a judgment, there's a fear rather of other people not judging or judging them as not good enough or a desire, right? Fear and desire are pretty much opposite um, sides of the same coin. There is a desire that they be viewed or I should say in this, you know, they could be judged as somebody important Somebody, there was a label, there go the labels. And if you listen to my podcast, you hear me why I don't like labels. And labels are very dangerous, but they will be judged as I am a rich person. I am a successful person. I am a beautiful person. I am an important person, right? All these ding, ding, ding labels that they have, they have hooked desire to. And then that hooking of that desire, the desire to wear that label and to have that label be placed upon them in the eyes of other people to be judged. There is a desire there to be judged by other people as important, wealthy, da 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 da. They suffer. That's hell. Hell is other people. Right. So now there is the sci fi mind of myself and goes, okay, so what kind of. What kind of civilization, if this is a simulation, what kind of civilization would create a world where it's constant suffering? I mean, we're constantly suffering. We're constantly in pain. Um, Case in point, yesterday, I don't know what I did, nothing. Um, (laughs) I didn't do anything. I woke up with a sharp pain in the middle of like my lower back for no reason. Like it was just like, hey, Wednesday you're going to feel pain today. And it was like like literally somebody was sticking a needle needle in the middle of my back. Now here's the thing. I'm not a normal person. <laughs> so you guys probably know cuz I've mentioned this in the podcast. I've been working on transmutation. I've been working because I've said this in previous episodes. Like we are, you, you will feel pain every day. Every day you will feel pain. It's an, an it's an inevitability, right? They talk about death and taxes being um, inevitable. That's not true. 
pain and death. Death and pain are the two things that you will have to deal with. You're going to have to die, at least as of now, and you are going to feel pain. And for all of us, pain, whether physical, emotional, mental, is a daily occurrence. And so the way I look at it is if I am destined to feel pain for the rest of my life, for all of my life in this in this simulation, in this reality, why don't I figure out a way to hack it so that it doesn't feel painful? If I am destined to feel pain for the rest of my life, why don't I figure out a way to transmute the pain into its opposite? And that's what I've been working on doing. And some of you are listening and saying, wait, what? And I'm like, yeah, go listen to the other podcast episodes because I do talk about ways to do that. Um, and I'll mention it briefly now. I start with a little thing. Like, not I don't hurt myself intentionally. But here's my mindset, right? Pain and pleasure are the same emotion. They're the same feeling. They're the same sensation, right? They're just opposite ends of the spectrum, right? So... There was this documentary, I think it's on Netflix. I haven't seen it, but I was told about it. I think it had something to do with uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's company, Goop. Um, And I was told by my sister-in-law that there was an episode of of the show where this guy, uh, I think he was like Norwegian or something, would sit in the cold and meditate and he would not feel cold i have still i have yet to watch this but i think i i saw him a long time ago in ripley's believe it or not or something like that so i i am familiar with this guy who has basically hacked his mind for i mean you can throw a spiritual label over it but he's basically hacked his mind so he doesn't feel cold and i have to watch the episode but if i had to guess i would say that he's probably I've seen people do something similar where they just kind of tell their mind this cold is not cold. It's actually warm. I am comfortable. And so then they don't feel it. And because they don't feel it, they also don't feel the effects of it. Right. They don't get the frostbite and everything like that. So my thought was, okay, this guy isn't different from me. He's just another human being. It's another. And whatever his body is capable of doing, I'm capable of doing it, too. It's just he's practiced at it. And so my thought is cold and heat are the same sensation, just different ends of the scale. And everything that I've read about um, psychic or psychological or spiritual or whatever you want to call it, Alchemy, which is physical alchemy is, of course, transforming lead to gold, right? Something worthless to something um, rare. Um, I believe that the same can be applied um, psychologically as well. And it's been argued that when the alchemists wrote about alchemy, they weren't seeking to transform base metal into gold. They were seeking to transform base reality into something illuminating right something of nirvana and if you actually want to take it a step further you could say that the teachings of the buddha and the christ and the hindus and the philosopher socrates and plato and schopenhauer and nietzsche and all of these in kant are all basically they're all hidden alchemists so to speak right 
Right. And so they're all, they're all striving. All these people were all striving to, to attain alchemy, to achieve alchemy, which is the transmogrification of one negative state into a positive state. Right. And so I figured, well, if this guy can do it with pain, with, with, uh, cool and hot, right? Like in a cold situation, make his body feel warm. Then I can do the same thing. I mean, he's not different from me. He just has had more time to practice what it is. And he's put his mind towards something. And I've read enough esoteric books, esoteric books, and books on mysticism, which if you haven't realized right now that all of the people that you speak of in high regard, the Einsteins, the Newtons, um, the Schopenhauers, all of these guys are where well-versed in mysticism and the esoteric um well i'm gonna i'm revealing that to you right now because this is these are facts these these guys studied exactly what it is that i'm talking to you right now about okay so i have decided and i had decided that okay i'm going to take pain right just like the guy took cold and in his mind transformed it into heat and thus he can meditate in the cold and not feel cold and feel warm instead. I'm going to take pain and through practice and mental application, um, I'm going to transform that pain to pleasure. I know that those two feelings, those two sensations are on the same spectrum because clearly there are people out there who derive pleasure from pain. They're called masochists. Um, but rather than inflicting pain on myself or allowing people to inflict pain on me in a in a manner that psychologists would call a kink, um, I'm not deriving any sexual pleasure out of it. I am simply telling myself, I'm going to have to live with pain for the rest of my life in this world. Why should I feel the pain if I have the ability to, at the very least, significantly, significantly reduce the volume of it um, or best case scenario completely changes so that something that should feel painful I can actually tell myself it's pleasurable and I have been doing that and I've been doing that successfully um so yesterday I had the back pain and I was like awesome like (laughs) right so in the past you know like you wake up and you feel pain and what you do what's the first thing you're going to do you're going to groan well that groaning I've said as I said in previous episodes that's an invitation to suffer you're telling yourself ah time to suffer when you make that external noise your body you know, kind of protects itself and goes, oh, okay, so we're suffering now. And then you suffer. But instead, when I woke, when I stood up and I felt the pain in my back, instead of going, oh, I went, oh. And I, in my mind, just really glommed on, for lack of better wording, I don't know how to tell you, you know, how to tell you what I did beyond just, you know, trying to explain it as best as I can. But I just mentally paid attention made myself hyper aware of the sensation and then I told myself more or less this feels good and before I knew it like it felt good and then the pain eventually just kind of went away and it's on I guess it figured it couldn't torture me anymore and there was no point to it I don't know and I don't know if it went away on its own or I just didn't feel it really as much anymore um but I went from from like it should have been debilitating I mean when it first started I was thinking fuck like I like I went to stand up and I stopped halfway it's sciatica that's the label for it and you guys know how much of a fan I am of labels but that's the label for it sciatica and it's it's happened ever since I had my daughter 
um, on and off. But this was the first time that I actually looked at it with glee. And I was like, all right, cool. This is a situation. Let's get this done. And then I was able to transform it to pleasure. That's alchemy. You know, every one of us are, all of us are alchemists. Um, some of us are just maladaptive. So if you are feeling pain and you go and you take a drug to mask the pain, that's alchemy. You are seeking to transform a painful situation to either to neutralize it or to turn it into a positive situation, which by Schopenhauer standards, it's the negation of pain, right? So that's what is pleasure to him. It's not really this separate thing. It's just the negation of pain. And so you can take that step further. People who have emotional pain and they turn to drugs like you know opioids or um, they start overeating, um, it's, it's their mind unconsciously being driven to be alchemists, to turn, to transform a negative into a positive, to, to turn shit into sugar, to turn raw material. Every time you cook, every time you create, we are all fucking alchemists. We take base metal raw materials for the most part, and we try to do the best with it. And some people just go about it in maladaptive ways, right? And that's why we have the sex addiction and the drug addictions and, and things of that nature. It's There is a, a version of ourselves that is seeking to transmogrify the pain and the neg- negativity and turn it into something good. And that's where this world being a school also comes up, right? You have countless opportunities to practice alchemy. That's what this world is. And if you fail at it, and fail is a heavy word, so pretend I didn't say that. If you manifest it, if if your practice of alchemy tends to turn towards the negative, then that's what we would call hell, right? So if somebody, if you're looking at a situation that should be a teaching experience for you, but your approach to it is negative, like somebody calling you incessantly or, you know, imposing their needs on you, if you with your mind choose to look at that situation as something negative, well, you have transformed it. You've transformed what should have been a neutral situation, which is somebody just trying to talk to you, and you transformed it. You transmogrified something neutral to something negative. That is alchemy, but it's the equivalent of turning something neutral like sand into lead but what you want to do is turn not sand i should say like carbon which is more um appropriate turning something like carbon which is neutral into lead which is negative but what you're wanting to do and what this podcast is striving to help you achieve is to take that same situation and turn it into gold and that transformation of something into something positive is alchemy um, in, in the positive sense. So it makes you a, a magician of light, I guess. Not that I don't think dark is evil or anything like that, but just for the sake of illustration, that's what I mean. Okay, so that's what I've been doing consciously. Now, how does that apply to you? Well, let me take this three steps back. I, I mentioned briefly, if this world were created by an external society, and this is a place where people get sent to. What sort of world would this 
be who would have created this sort of world well, Schopenhauer blamed it on a demon I don't accept that he, he um he obviously is entitled to his own opinion based on his perceptions of reality I tend to look at things as neutral because you see in this world everything is striving to polarize you if you look at everything right for every person that's black there there exists a white person right for for day there's night for um for up there's down so when everything is super polarized you get so hyper focused on the opposite ends of things that you forget that there is a neutrino right there's a neutron there's a neutral situation in the center in the gray right and that's what i'm trying to bring your attention to right you want to exist in the neutral and it's in that neutral that you see suffering so if you look at this world from a neutral perspective it's neither heaven nor hell it is neither a school nor a prison it is simply a place a very neutral place and while polarities do exist like night and day does exist right if you allow your mind to get sucked in into the opposites you forget about the neutral you forget about the now if you allow your mind to get sucked in either direction past or future you forget about the center you forget about the now peace if you're seeking peace doesn't exist in the opposites peace exists in the center in the gray in the middle there is night and there is day right but there's also the in between and that in between is called the witching hour or the magic hour or you know like that that's where the magic is supposed to happen it's it's almost intangible but it's the it's it's magical right and so that's what i'm trying to call your attention to the center that's where peace lies and so if you start from a place where you are and it's neutral that allows you to then look around and to be conscious and so when somebody comes up to you before you allow your mind to automatically shift you to a negative state by saying this person is annoying when you use the term annoying that label is a negative label and that will shift you to the the negative polarity you don't want to do that, right? This is alchemy, right? So you're trying to turn carbon, right, into gold. That person approaching you is just a neutral situation, right? This is something the Stoics teach. This is something Shakespeare said. There's nothing that's either good or bad. But thinking makes it so. There's nothing that's either good or bad, but judgment makes it so. You, in this constant state of judgment, you define whether something is good or bad. And that's your choice. But 
most of us alive right now have been programmed unconsciously to determine and judge everything as negative. And so we are constantly taking what should be neutral situations. And because we don't apply awareness, because we don't apply consciousness, we are programmed and we allow the mind to shift a neutral thing to the left and thus make it negative. And so if you are living in an unconscious life, you're living an unconscious life, you are subsequently also living a largely negative life. And that negative life is a life of suffering. If you're living an unconscious life, the default programming for all of us in the society is to make everything negative. If you don't fucking believe me, pay attention. Pay attention to the things you say. Pay attention to what is said to you. When a person says, this is stupid, that's negative. This is bad, that is negative. They are not mindful of the words that are coming out of their mouths. And as a result, the things that they are spewing from their lips are constantly going to be negative. Uh, The guy who wrote... The four agreements, he calls them curses. He says, we we speak, we are all shaman, we are all magicians, and we are constantly cursing each other. There is a book that I, actually, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So let me go back. So what is this world? Is this heaven or hell? That's up to your mind. It is hell if you allow it to be and if you choose to live unconsciously because unconscious living is still a choice right just like not choosing to work not working out is still a choice you chose to not work out if it was a choice between you going and working out and you sitting you sitting is still a choice it was an unconscious choice but it was still a choice okay so we live in a world that has program programmed you your default setting is to choose negative situations and you feed and you further deplete yourself and you feed and you further lower your vibration you feel and you further negate your energy every time you speak negatively Every time you use negative labels, every time you judge, particularly when you judge something as bad or you judge someone as bad, you are fully in the negative side because judging something puts you in a negative mental state and depletes your energy. You do that enough time, and I believe in, in times rather, and I believe in Hinduism is called prana. Your prana gets depleted, and before you know it, you look up and you are drained, unhappy, sick, suffering, thus in hell. Well, what kind of world would create, what kind of civilization would create this world? I, I, I sometimes wonder. People a thousand years from now, 
if we continue moving along the path of equality, they are going to need to create some sort of system. Create, I'm not saying this is what this world is. I'm saying that this is what I've played with as an idea. And I'm not saying to take my idea as fact. It's just stipulation. But imagine a world, a civilization a thousand years from now, they created a world where it was, a simulation rather, where it was uh, punishment. But you could only punish, you can't, because they believed in equality and fairness and balance, they wouldn't impose any punishments on you. Right? So imagine a thousand years from now, a human civilization where their prison system wasn't like a cage, like a, like a jail. It was actually a simulation and you get plugged in and you're supposed to serve time, which is why they say the good die young. I don't know who knows, right? Because they serve shorter sentence, right? Um, and in that jail, you can't be punished, but that jail would be what the spiritual people and Christians and all these other religions called hell or the afterlife or whatever. Um, but you can't, they won't impose punishment on you because like, look at us now, even now, like we in our society protest the prison systems. We say it's unethical, it's unfair, it's dehumanizing. Well, along that, carry along that path and humanity a thousand years from now will evolve to the point where they will close down prison systems, but you still need a place to put deviance. And so instead of it being a system, maybe it becomes a simula simulation, right? So instead of it being a system, maybe it becomes a simulation. And that simulation is you don't get punished. You're not made like, it's not like a labor camp because they've evolved past that. They've, they're more civilized than we are now theoretically. And so instead you're putting this place and it becomes your choice. If you feel guilty for whatever it is you've been plugged into the simulation for, then you will punish yourself and you'll make yourself suffer. And subsequently it will turn into a hell for you, which is what you see in the prison systems now. If you don't feel guilty or you maybe maybe your quote unquote crimes against that society is not a bad thing um, or is not as bad as, you know, a person who has created hell for themselves or is creating hell for themselves, um, then you and your consciousness and your conscience will will not allow you to manifest a hell for yourself. And thus it becomes a school. I am now reminded of Ma'at in the Egyptian uh, philosophy when in the afterlife, after you die, they take your, Ma'at takes your soul and it's like a feather and he weighs it. And if it's heavy, you go to one afterlife. And if it's light, then it goes to another afterlife, right? So it depends on how you lived your life. And then I think of Hindus and they talk about karma. And I wonder if I can take that and blend it to what I'm talking about now. Blow your mind for a second outside of the constructs and your understanding of what you think reality is now. And instead, think about a civilization 
that isn't physical, that is spiritual, right? And say you do commit something heinous or bad or whatever it is. And so you get sent to this world. And you just keep reincarnating. You keep serving times. You keep serving incarnations over and over again until either you stop feeling penance for it, which is what causes karma. Because karma is basically just you punishing yourself on some level. From what my understanding is after you die, you look back in your life, you feel like you messed up. So your attachment to your emotion of feeling like you messed up is what kind of forces you to come back here. Because I was asking myself that if I were in fact a Hindu in a previous life, a Hindu man in a previous life, why the fuck would I even come back here knowing what I knew then? But I also understand that there's an aspect of myself that's a perfectionist. And thus, subsequently, I am attached to the simulation and trying to work out certain things over and over again until I feel like I've got it right. But it's nobody punishing me. It's nothing outside of myself punishing me. It's me, quote unquote, attached to the simulation, addicted to the simulation, maybe if you want to look at it, not even from a spiritual perspective and just look at it as more of Maya, of it being an illusion um, and subsequently a game, uh, Leela, and I just used uh, Hindu and uh, Sanskrit there um, to explain these are two words that also basically um, assert that this world is not real or it's you know a type of illusion. Um, maybe I just really enjoy the game and so I just keep coming back. I did check my birthday and my name and all, to, all of that just to see. And it says I have no karmic debt. So if I had no karmic debt, I'm not working out anything. And it just seems like I'm just here for the sake of being here because I like the game. I like here being here. I also feel like when I go back and I listen to a lot of my podcasts, not only just this one, but the Dark Oracle's Guide to the Multiverse, the other one, I keep saying the same thing without realizing that I'm saying the same thing. And the same thing that I keep saying is I don't want people to suffer. And so maybe that's why I keep reincarnating, not because I have any karma to work off, but because I want people to not suffer so I want to make I'm trying to make people aware of the fact that any suffering you have in your life is because of something that you're doing you're the one creating it for yourself see this world doesn't impose suffering on you watch watch tv and watch a movie watch a reality show watch how people make themselves suffer it's all is mind all is mind So what are you going to do with all this information that I just threw at you? Well, keep the idea of alchemy, active alchemy in your mind. That's what I want you to do. And instead of letting life happen to you and then suffering from it, you happen to life. You take control. And instead of making everything negative and allowing everything to affect you negative, every time you get hit with something negative, even if it's a negative feeling or negative emotion, actively, consciously transmutate that shit to something positive. When you when somebody comes up to you and they say something rude, 
You can either negate that by not responding or you can counter that by saying something positive. That's alchemy. A couple days ago, I couldn't get out of bed. And I was just laying in bed like I can't get out of bed. And then I realized, wait, I want to get out of bed. I've got shit to do. But for some reason, my body doesn't want to get out of bed. And then I realized, wait, I'm not conscious right now. My body doesn't want to get out of bed. Well, I'm getting out of bed and I just got up. I did the opposite. Right? What's the simplest way to negate, to balance something negative? You do the opposite of it. That's how you neutralize something. I'll say that again. What's the simplest way to balance something negative? You do the opposite and that's what neutralizes it. If you if somebody's if you're in an argument with somebody, it's like your loved ones, and I'm assuming the person is mentally stable and they're just raging, they're expecting you to defend, which is also negative. But if you say something positive, that neutralizes it. You know what? I'm sorry. That's love. That love brings you back to a neutral stand. If somebody's calling you and they're annoying you, that annoyance is a negative state. Or I should say they're not annoying you. You allowed your body to be annoyed. Your body has taken over. Its autopilot function is default to negative, And you have allowed yourself to feel that emotion and, st- and thus deplete your energy. But you also can replenish your energy by choosing something positive the best way i found to do that in my practice over the last couple of days actually has come to me is i just have been expressing gratitude like a fiend i appreciate you saying that you know what thank you for saying that i appreciate this from happening even pain when i had the pain yesterday i said instead of going oh and further depleting my energy, I said, hey, this is an opportunity. Hey, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be able to take something and see if I can transmutate it, transmogrify it into something pleasurable. Thank you for the pain. Right When somebody walked up to me in a I say somebody, it was my daughter. She was being kind of annoying, but um, she's, you know, she's a kid. But, and we've also been in the house with each other for what, like 12 years now? Like we haven't left the house. So I, I, I get it. Um, but when she came up to me and I started to feel the annoyance, I said, thank you for the opportunity to practice peace. And that annoyance went away. And instead, I said, instead of us responding with annoyance, I said, hey, I found something that she was doing for me to be grateful for. I've turned my brain into like a gratitude seeking machine, right? Like you say something in the midst of you saying it, I, I'm usually good at finding what you're saying, finding the negative and picking it apart. But what I've done instead is I'm slowly reprogramming my brain to find something to be grateful for find something to be grateful for and in that act of seeking out the positive i neutralize the negative that's alchemy listen to this episode several times until it sinks in i i intend to do the same thing 
a lot of the stuff I'm talking to you right now, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware about it until I started recording the episode. And so I'm going to go back and replenish it. Um, particularly stuff about alchemy that all just kind of came to me right now, but it's true, right? We're all alchemists. The thing is, do you want to be a dark, dark magician, right? Which is converting the neutral situations that is life that come up in life over and over again and, and transforming that into a negative. Or do you want to be a light magician? I don't like using the dark and light uh, polarity of it, but I think just for illustrative purposes, you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Do you want to be a light magician and you want to take that neutral that life always gives you neutral? You have to this. You're the one who decides whether or not it's good or bad, and most of the time, you're programmed to decide that it's bad, and so we suffer. So, do you want to take that and allow suffering, or do you want to take that and Turn it into good. Even if it seems bad, you can still turn it into good because it's an opportunity for you to express gratitude. Find something to be grateful for. Gratitude. Nobody can be grateful and fucking negative. I've never seen anybody go, ah, fucking thank you for this, right? It's the same thing, right? I've never seen somebody criticize somebody and be happy. And I've never seen somebody express gratitude and be unhappy. Flip it. And I guarantee you that as you keep practicing that you'll start experiencing less hell in, in your reality. And the world will start responding to you positively. Because you're becoming more positive. Because this world isn't a hell or a heaven, but it is also both. I'll say that again. This world isn't a heaven or a hell, but it is also both. The world is will, an idea. It's your mind and your action and your choices like a dream that determines how things go. So I'll leave you with this. For a while there, you guys probably heard in the podcast, I talked about it, how I've been trying, striving to um, be a lucid dreamer because I had one lucid dreaming uh, episode way back when and I was really fascinated by it. But then I realized like, I don't actually want to lucid dream because when I'm not controlling my dream, I actually can be whomever I want. And it's kind of fun it's been fun actually uh waking up and writing down like and just reading what i've what I've been dreaming about and just watching my brain come up with all these like crazy sort of kind of fun and interesting things. So I let that go um let the whole desire to be lucid go because I mean to be frank i i was I was just trying to do naughty things anyway <laughs> for being honest and um and you know whatever um so anyway so i um Instead, I said, you know, what's more fun, right? Dreams, the moment you try to remember them, they kind of slip through your fingers like a mirage, you know, or sand, right? Um, Last night I had a dream and I woke up in the middle of the night and wrote it out, but I couldn't write the whole dream out because I didn't want to turn the light on. And I woke up this morning and I just wrote out like a sentence because I I told myself, well, if I remember the sentence, I'll remember the whole dream. And nope. I picked up my notepad and I looked at it. All it said was missing white woman. 
I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> what was I dreaming about? What is that? I have to deal with it. I still don't know. I, I, nothing came to me. It's gone. All right. So, but I remember my day-to-day life. So what should I put more energy into trying to become lucid in a dream that I'm going to forget, you know, or becoming lucid in your daily life where you get the opportunity and you're constantly going to be faced with challenges. And But those challenges that you're faced with aren't negative. They're opportunities for you to transmogrify both yourself and change yourself from a negative state to a positive state and to practice alchemy and to practice free will. So do it.